The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, hello there. It's good to be back with you. I missed you. I've been thinking about you this past week. I have some good stuff for you uh, today, stuff that I think you will appreciate. And I learned myself some things about grief that were new to me. And that's the joy of what I do and why I do it. See, I, in preparing for these shows, forgive me, my voice is hoarse today. I hope it'll be better next week. In preparing for these shows, I read a lot about grief. A lot, a lot, a lot. I read in uh, magazines, newspapers, I get grief stuff from the New York Times. I get grief stuff from the Huffington Post. Anybody that writes about grief, I see it. I read about grief on the internet. I read about grief on Facebook. Facebook's a wonderful place. There's so many grief groups, uh, which is wonderful because as I've said before, And I'll say again, you cannot grieve your losses by yourself. You have to try to be part of a community. So that's what I do. So a lot of what I, what you hear from me is original. And a lot of what you hear from me is not original. That is, I will give you information that I have learned from an article or a book or something that I've gotten somewhere else. Tonight is an example. I want to talk about, uh, I have several things to talk about. You know, when you prepare for each show, they tell you to list what the topic is going to be. And I often have so many topics that there's not enough room for me to just write one on the line. So let me start with what I started with um, when you read about tonight's topic, and then we'll go from there. I have other things as well. Okay, I read this article 
you won't believe where I read it. You never think that the magazine that I'm going to tell you about would have anything positive to teach me and you about grief. But they did. The magazine is called Reader's Digest. Now, for those of you who are almost 70 years old like me, you've been reading Reader's Digest forever. Now, <laughs> they're so smart, they know that their readers stick with them and they have to do what they have to do so uh, we almost 70-year-olds can still read. So now they have large print Reader's Digest. So I read this article in my um, uh, optometrist's office the past week. I had to have my eyes dilated. You know that when they dilate your eyes, you can't see anything. Everything is blurry. But you go to Reader's Digest, large print, and all print's big, clear, you can read it. So I read an article that I wanted to share with you because it made me think. And anytime an article makes me think, I wanted to make you think as well, too. So it's about lessons that we learn about our parents' death. Seven things no one tells you about losing a parent when you're a child. Number one, people will unintentionally belittle your pain. The author of this says, my father died from pancreatic cancer at the age of 38, 39 days before my seventh birthday. Well, me, Mel Glazer, my father died two days before my 12th birthday. And I was a kid, I didn't understand anything. Nobody died before. So I didn't know what death meant. And the, thing, the way that I learned about what death meant, what people told me, is why I'm talking to you now. To try to realign how we understand death. Anyway, they say, I used to get defensive when people assumed I couldn't possibly have understood the magnitude of what happened. They tell me I was lucky because at least it happened when you were little. And I mean, that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, but that's what they said. And I'd insist that I knew and remembered everything in a vain attempt to validate my own experience. We're all guilty of placing suffering in a hierarchy. We assume dying in your sleep isn't as terrible as dying from cancer. That losing a grandparent isn't as tragic as losing a parent. And we assume losing a parent is a minor when you're apparently unable to fully comprehend the situation can't possibly be worse than losing a parent as an adult. We all know which we prefer, right? It took me a long time, the author says, to accept that while I may not have been completely aware at the time, it didn't take away from how I felt 
or currently feel about my dad's past. There's no one way to experience death. And whether you like it or not, your pain belongs to you, nobody else. So this made me think a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I learned some lessons from just what I read to you now. First is, we have to grieve the notion that our parents or any loved one is gonna live a certain number of years before they die. We have it in our heads and we were taught to believe that we're all gonna live to be to a ripe old age, 80, say. And then if you died in your 40s or your 30s or your 20s or your 10s, you, were, you died too early. Well, we have to grieve that thought. We have to lay it gently down because only God knows when the time is coming. We don't know anything and we could die tomorrow. We don't know. So when we're young, we think, you know, a father dying is a tragedy because we're young. We grow up thinking that he was gonna live to a ripe old age. He didn't do that. So it's a double loss, as I'm fond of saying. The first loss is that he died. The second loss is that we have to lay him down and remember that we have no control over when people are gonna die. And anybody who tells us that, well, you're young, so you're good, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Now, is it better to die in your sleep than die from cancer? Well, in our heads, we know it is. Wouldn't you like to go to sleep one night and not wake up? I know I would. Uh, look at the anxiety it would relieve me of. I think I told you last week or the week before that I read an article by somebody else saying that when a friend of his died, he was jealous. He was jealous of his friend, why? Because his friend didn't have to worry anymore about when he was gonna die or what he was gonna die from. He, on the other hand, was very anxious about it. And he was worried about it every day. Is today gonna be my last day? Am I gonna get cancer? Am I gonna die from a heart attack? Am I gonna die from a stroke? Am I going to die with, um, you know, medicines flowing into my arms? He didn't know. So, yeah, rationally speaking, you know, just not waking up, that's the best. But we don't have any control over any of that. And we have to lay that notion down because it's irrelevant to our lives in a sense. All right. Lesson number two that the author learned. You'll get to know your loss with time. Realizing the magnitude of my loss didn't come immediately. I barely mourned the death of my dad as a child. Yeah, I cried once or twice. Then I carried on, too busy being young. 
and reveling in the love of my mom and aunt. In some ways, I actually did feel lucky. I had a good relationship with my mom, and in general, I continued to have a happy childhood. The weight of my grief came to me in small doses at random stages of my life. It came when I sat, for example, in the back of my friend's car and listened to her chat with her dad about what they were going to eat for dinner. I could never have that conversation with my dad. It came when I watched my classmates trail behind their moms and dads at parents' evening at school. It came on various Father's Days when I joked smugly about not having to spend any money and then wonder what it would be like if I actually had a dad to spend money on. It came and it came and it came. Each wave hit me just that little bit harder until 13 years after my dad's death on the front pew at my grandfather's funeral, I finally began to cry. I cried for every moment my father and I never had and never will have. And I finally understood how dreadful it actually was. Losing a parent when you're a child means you learn your loss as you go along. You not only learn to live without a parent, you eventually learn what it means to live without one. That's the second lesson he gets. And I learned, he's right, I remember that. I remember when, when Father's Day came along, I tried to pretend it didn't matter. I tried to pretend, oh yeah, I don't have to uh, get up early and do something with my dad because there's no dad to do anything with. I remember when all the other kids brought their fathers to school. I began to feel sad about losing my dad. And it's interesting what he says, that it wasn't until he went to the funeral of his grandfather that he started crying about his daddy's death. I like that lesson. It's what I've tried to teach you. Every death is more than one. That's why when we go to the cemeteries, it doesn't make any difference what religion we are. When we go to the cemetery, we go see, you know, daddy who died, and then we go see other members of our family who died. In the Jewish tradition, we put rocks on their gravestones it's a sign of honor and respect. People will know that they are still loved and missed. But this, this author cried for his father's death. Took him a while, don't, didn't it? Took him until his grandfather died. He finally learned the lesson that we have to learn. That is, it's almost like PTSD in a way. It's emotional PTSD. You mourn for more than one death at a time. 
We Jews have a memorial service on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. And at that service, there's a silent period of time. And we, we think about those who have died. I close my eyes. I vision up in my eyes uh, all the relatives in my family who have died. My first wife, my parents, all my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, and my best friend, Kenny, to whom I dedicated my book, GPS for Grief and Healing. And I closed my eyes and I said to each one of them, I miss you so much. We had such a wonderful time when we were together. And I want you to know that I love you and I'm happy. I'm doing good things. I do these things for you. I teach about grief and loss. And more important, I teach about healing. And I do it for you. And every time I help somebody heal, I remind myself that you, your death, helped me heal myself. And I thank them. So this kid, you know, he got that lesson. He got it later than I would have liked him to get it. He cried at his grandfather's funeral, not only for his grandfather, but also for his father. And who knows who else that he cried for. He doesn't write about it, and I don't know. But that's what happens. It's a normal way to grieve. Uh, you grieve for lots of people, and each death reminds you of the last. That's why sometimes I'll take a walk around the cemetery, the Jewish cemetery. I've been here nine years. I buried a lot of these people. So I take a little walk. I say hello to them. I tell them I'm okay. I tell them I miss them at services, at the temple. I tell them I hope they're okay. Okay, well, I'm okay and you're okay. And I'll be back after the break. I'll see you in a minute. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. 
Again, that's griefok.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, I'm back. You know, I realized right before the break, I said, I'll see you in a minute. I'll see you after the break. I wish I could see you after the break. But you can only hear me. You can't see me, and I can't see you. One of these days, we'll all be on television together, and then we'll be able to see each other. Okay, let's go back to the article. The third lesson that he learned. You'll have to learn to fill the gaps for yourself. Losing my father at the age of six meant I had an almost entirely blank slate on which to draw a picture of who my dad was. I knew he was studying to be a lawyer before he died. I knew he smoked occasionally, and I knew he was really good at giving piggyback rides. Everything else I took from the fragmented second-hand memories of other people to help me understand who he was and in turn who I am. It was from him I apparently got my nose and eyes and according to my mother, my large smile. Often though, my dad feels more like a fictional character than a real person. Someone whose qualities I can change at will to suit my own childish fantasies and whims. With only three years of tangible memories to choose from, my dad can essentially be whoever I want him to be. Now, here's what Rabbi Mel says. Yeah, I get it. Because, you know, I was just 12 years old. And I knew some things about my dad. But as I've told you before, he used to get up and go to work before I got up to go to school. And he was uh, in a grocery business. He owned a grocery store on what was third base of Atlanta Stadium, where the Atlanta Crackers and the Atlanta Braves used to play baseball. And he used to come back from work every night after we were asleep, me and my brother and sister. So I only knew him, and he worked six days a week. I only knew him on Sundays. On Sundays, I knew he would wake up, he would make pancakes for everybody. Then we would take a ride somewhere where it didn't matter. He would drive, and we would always go somewhere. Sometimes it was to see another relative. I remember just going to see his mother, whom we called Bubby Glazer. I never knew her husband, my grandfather, on daddy's side. Sometimes we would go and see my mom's mother, who was Bubby B., and sometimes we go see the aunts and uncles. But outside of that, I don't remember very much. I remember he had smoked. I do remember that. I remember he had a bad temper. Oh, I remember. How did I remember? Because if I did something he didn't like, he took a, he took a strap to me. Oh, yes, he did. He said... You go in the backyard and you get a switch and you bring it back in here. And I did. And he turned me over his lap and he gave me a good spanking. 
Well, you know, it didn't, didn't destroy my personality. It taught me that that's what they did then. I wouldn't do it now. I could see why he did it and why his generation did it. But I don't remember much else about my daddy. It's really too bad. Can he be essentially whoever I want him to be? Yeah, in a way he can, but that's not, I don't remember him well enough to make him into something that he wasn't. All right, back to the article. Truth be told, I'm somewhat thankful that I never got to know my dad's flaws for myself. He wasn't alive long enough to ever hurt me, disappoint me, or argue with me. He is the perfect protagonist in my own made-up story. My final memory of him is of a dying man who, despite being minutes away from the end of his life, managed to other a raspy goodbye to his six-year-old daughter as she left the hospital room for the last time. What flaw could I possibly find in that? So, here's Rabbi Mel's lesson. When somebody dies, they become um, a saint. They become an angel, especially if you were a kid when they were alive. She didn't really know much about them. I didn't know him, but every time everybody told me he was a good guy. Well, everybody's a good guy. But I read somewhere that the worst day, worst, the worst day in a child's life is when they realize that their parents are not perfect. So, yeah, I remember realizing that too. I don't remember what he did, but I remember I had this aha moment. Oh, daddy's not perfect. But after he died, he became perfect in the eyes of everyone who knew him. Because it's considered bad taste to say bad things about the dead. You just don't do that. You're supposed to only say good things about those who have died. So everybody said good things about daddy. So I don't know. Nobody will talk to me about it. And everybody, all of my relatives, my aunts and uncles have all died. Every one of them. Their kids are now in their 80s. They're either in nursing homes or they have Alzheimer's or they don't remember either. So my sister and brother and I are just going to have to die not knowing all that we would have wanted to know about daddy. It's a shame, but as the author says, you'll learn to fill the gaps for yourself. Do you make up stuff? Yeah, sometimes. Not often, but you don't know enough to know about him, so it hurts. That's all I can tell you. Number four, you'll dread that one day you will no longer remember them. Rabbi Mel says it's a real aha moment. 
I used to play a game after my dad died where I'd sit in bed and test myself to see how well I still remembered his face. I'd think of his eyes, his nose, and imagine running my hands over every crease on his forehead. As the years went on, the game became more infrequent, and I began to remember him less and less. The details of his face became less distinct. I no longer remember the timbre of his voice. The image of my dad mutated from a crisp, still photo into a blurry watercolor, and I became scared that I was forgetting him. When you lose a parent as a child, you don't have a lot of memories to choose from. You cling on to the precious few that you have, and then you start to panic when even the edges of those get fuzzy. I have an enormous fear of forgetting my dad completely. I imagine passing him on a busy street, and I wonder if I'd even recognize him at all. When it comes to my father, my memory has become both my biggest asset and my biggest enemy. That's true for me, says Rabbi Mel. Um, I don't remember him like I used to. And as I get older and I'm 69 years old, I hardly remember him at all. I just don't remember him. I have one or two pictures of him uh, from the army. He was in the army and he never talked about it. But I have some pictures of him in the army. I have a picture of him and my mother. And that's it. I don't have anything else. So I don't remember. I don't dread that day. It's just a fact of life. It happens when you lose somebody precious. Then you get older, and a normal part of grief, you lay them gently down, and they stay down, and you don't pick them back up. So no, I don't remember my daddy hardly at all. And many of you out there, lots of you out there, I'd venture to say, are just like me. You were kids when your parents died or when your best friend died. You don't remember a lot. And it broke your heart when you were young. But now you're adults. It's okay. It's a normal part of the grief and healing process. Number five. It may be the first time you discover that people don't always keep their word. I don't remember much from my dad's funeral, but as every child usually does, I remember the promises. I'll keep in touch. Call me whenever you want. You can ask me for anything. The words spilled from the mouths of many who looked at my mother and me with pity. It wasn't long before we were completely on our own, and I never saw the majority of those people again. When they did appear, their visits were random and inconsistent. Attempts to make up for lost time in a single day before they faded away again. People say a lot of things they don't actually mean 
when they feel sorry for you. They promise the world when they can barely manage a phone call, unaware of the effect that kind of broken vow has on a child. I grew to expect very little, which made the disappointment easier and the pleasant surprises even better. It was my very first lesson in skepticism and one I've returned to many times. So Rabbi Mel, your commentator, says, it's true. You remember when your daddy died, all your family friends said, oh, we'll come and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you and we'll, you'll come to our house, you'll play in our backyard and you'll play with your cousins and it'll be okay. You'll be happy. You'll see. And then you never hear from them again. And then you get angry. Not only because you're lonesome and you need something to do with your life. You need other people in your life. You need kids in your life. But you're angry because they told you what they were going to do. They made promises to you that they did not keep. And that's not a good thing to do. That's unfair. And it hurts. And we don't forget about those things. Number six, there will be very few people who knew you when you had two parents. I have one friend who has ever met my dad, just one. She came to my house after school and he came into the living room as we sat on the sofa. She remarked on how tall he was and I remember being filled with pride. She is one of the very few people who knew me both before and after. Since then, every friend I've ever made has known me as a person with only one parent, and it's become a defining feature of my identity. If I had to introduce myself in a sentence, I'd say, hi, my name is Mel, I'm a Pisces, and let's get this out of the way now, my father is dead. I've said that to people. It sounds weird when you introduce yourself that way. But when I was younger, I don't do it anymore. When I was younger, that's what I did. Because I knew that they knew, so I just thought I'd get it out of the way in the beginning of the conversation. I occasionally feel as though a small part is missing from all of my friendships because of this. Like starting a book with the first chapter torn out. I love that metaphor. Love it to death, excuse me for using that phrase. I love it because in my life, as in yours, those of you whose parents died when you were young, the first chapter of your life has been torn out of your book of life. You don't remember it. You wish you did, but you don't. No matter how well anyone gets to know me, they'll never have known me when I had a dad. They, like me, will only know his absence. I thank God for that one friend who met my dad on a gray afternoon after school. She is a perfect reminder that there was a reality when both my parents existed at the same time.
I, I agree with that. You know, you sort of get a new last name. I told you about that kid that, that got hit by a car. And he was then, his mother was forever known as, and here's Rosalind, whose son died. She got a new last name. So did I when daddy died. Seventh and final lesson. You'll eventually learn to accept the hand life has dealt you. When you lose a parent as a child, you can only hope there's a person alive who loves you enough to make your loss feel a little less tragic. For the past years, it's been my mom and me. The void my father left made space for us to thrive as a two-person team, sticking together as a survival mechanism against life's casual cruelties, and as close as a mother and daughter can be. I like to imagine that if my dad could see my mom and me now, he'd see we were okay, and I reckon he'd be very, very proud. As long as we're both here, everything will be all right, and even better than that, in the end, it may actually be okay. What's the lesson? Rabbi Mel asks. The lesson is, you got to live your life your way. And you got to take the bad with the good. And whatever happened, happened. And you can't wander backwards. You can't. You may want to, but you can't wander backwards. So those are the lessons that I got from him or from the article. And I'm glad I did. And um, we're coming to a break. So I will see you or you will hear me right after the break. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Okay, I'm back back together. I enjoy teaching you. I enjoy being with you. Even though we can't see each other, I hope you're learning from me. I wish you'd call and talk to me on the air. 
you know, you don't have to be afraid. I don't bite. I'm a very nice guy. I'm a good person, as we used to say, going to school in New York at Columbia. Um, I, I wish you would call me or send me an email. You can send me an email at Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. If it's interesting enough, I might even read it. You never know. Now, here's something that I never thought I'd ever do. Um, I'm going to read some six-word stories about grief. The notion of writing about something in six words is... Um, it's not new and it's not old. It is... Um, Ernest Hemingway was once bet that he couldn't write a short story in six words. As the story goes, he wrote the following story. For sale, baby shoes never wore. For sale, baby shoes never wore. Wow. Those who've had miscarriages, you know what he's talking about. Those whose babies died right after birth, stillborn, you know exactly what he's talking about. So in six words, he told you all you needed to know. Well, I have 64 six-word stories about grief. I'm not going to read them all to you. They're not, not all that good. But I'm going to, you know, read and maybe comment as I go along. A week in my arms, forever in my heart. Does that make you almost want to cry? This baby lived for a week. But the baby's still there in her heart. Ordinary day, two breaths, heaven bound. His weight killed him and me. I guess her son died because he was overweight and he had a stroke or a heart attack because of it. Blood pressure problems. Mommy of three until that day. Which brings me back to the issue of what do you say when, when you have a child who dies? What do you say when somebody asks you, how many kids do you have? Do you say, well, I have three, but one died? Well, that'll start a friendship, won't it? Or do you say, I have two? But either way, you feel bad. If you say, I just have two, it's not right. You really have three. Except you don't, it's nobody's business that your third child died. And you don't want to be known as the mother with the new last name. Ah, uh, let's see. Stepping towards the train, gone forever. I read this and I get very sad for this person 
who was emotionally unwell and took his own life. Had the train, death by train, stepped in front of the train and died. Um, this year, I will outlive you. You know, it's really interesting. Um, my daddy was, I think, 45 when he died. When I hit 45, I went into all kinds of emotional depression. And that was a bad year for me. And I didn't understand why until I thought about it. And that was because I was living longer than he did. Would I die the same year, you know, the same age as him? I hope not, but who knew? Who knew? Painkillers kill, destroy lives, and families. Yes, they do. Life will never be the same. No, it won't. It's true. Breast cancer stole her, my mom. Um, we did not, we didn't live happily ever after. That's sad, because it reminds you of the wedding, where everybody said, we wish you to live happily ever after. And then one of the couple dies, and you, that's it. His generous heart just couldn't last. Everyone changed after he went away. That's right. When a loved one dies, everybody changes. Everybody. Some people change for the better. Some people get depression, change for the worse. But count on it. Somebody dies, everybody in the family who knew him or knew her, he's going to change. Here's one that says six words simply are not enough. He made me laugh at myself. Here's one that says, once upon a time, then grief. Here's one that says, when I most needed him, gone. Isn't that true? When you got used to your mother calling you every Sunday at 4 o'clock, because you lived in California and she lived in New York or Florida, and you got to count on being called or... You got yourself in an emotional trouble and you knew that you could call on your mom to help you get better because that was her role in your life and then she went and died. So you needed her and she was gone. Um, here's an interesting one. Stillborn baby Born still, still born. That's the most interesting of all of them. I'll read it again. Stillborn baby, born still. Those two are about the physical parts. And then the last two words, still born. 
So I guess it means you never forget anybody. Even if they're not born, they're, they, they die before they're born. They're still born in your heart. You don't ever forget them. Let's see. Um, I was 11 and far away. I'm thinking that means physically that this kid or this child was, this 11-year-old wasn't close to whoever died. Begged God to take me instead. Well, usually we see that on NCIS when they got hostages, you know, and somebody from NCIS comes on and says to the bad guy, who's holding the gun, take me instead. But this is different. This is when a loved one is about to die. And let's say the loved one is 42 years old and you're 86. So you pray to God, you beg God, take me instead. I've lived a long life. He's young. He hasn't lived his life yet. He's got much more living to do. But I, who have lived so long, take me instead. That's a very moving six-word poem. Wake me up from this nightmare. Yes, exactly. Wake me up from this nightmare. And it's a nightmare, all right. And we know what happens right after somebody dies. Physical details, the burial, the funeral. What happens after that? Uh, do you have to fly the body somewhere? Why did he die? Is there an autopsy? Etc. Etc. It's a nightmare. Here's one that says, sacrificed his life protecting others. I think of those who died in 9-11, the um, police and firefighters who protected others and they sacrificed their lives. You know, that was a turning point for America in a lot of ways. In one way, we used to think I don't want to be a fireman. It's a, like a low-level job. Same thing with being a cop. I don't want to be a cop. I want to be a doctor. You know, but after we see, we saw what happened, and we saw the bravery of the firefighters and the police saved others um, and died themselves in 9-11, we changed our whole feeling about having our kids grow up to be firefighters or police. What else? Um, happily ever after ended rather prematurely. It happens, unfortunately. Amazing boy beautiful smile, organ donor. Wow.
this lady is healed because she understands. She understands that death is not the end, that his heart goes on and is given to someone else. So in fact, we don't die, just our bodies die. And as I'm very fond of saying, death has died. So if you have not put on your driver's license that you want to be an organ donor, you have to do it. You have to save another life. Don't be afraid. You won't be there when it happens. You have to donate part of your life, your eyes, your heart, whatever organs in your, in your body work. Still, you are obligated by God, I'm telling you, to donate them so you will still live. I am complete having loved you. Your death profoundly changed us all. I thought she would get old. We talked about that before. We have to grieve the notion that people are going to get old. Um, nine months along, both are gone. It's not sad. Mama died in childbirth. Thought we would get old together. This life doesn't work without him. Um, man of my dreams, now gone. Why will he not wake up? Um, husband and son taken together, shattered. He came, he cared, he died. Wow. I'd like that on my uh, gravestone. He came, he cared, he died. Didn't know that was goodbye. I have a whole chapter in my book about my best friend Kenny, who's, who said you have to believe, you have to treat every goodbye as if it's the last one you're ever going to be able to say. So every time you walk out the door, you say goodbye to your husband or wife or loved one, you better mean it. Because you have no control over what's going to happen. She never said, I love you. That's sad. And finally, no one can ever replace you. So it's interesting how people remember their loved ones and how they have the courage to write it down. I don't know if I could do that in six words. It's hard, but it's touching, isn't it? Some of those almost brought me to tears. They were so moving and so, so passionate and so compassionate. I wish I could be that, that passionate and compassionate. I work real hard at it. Well, I've enjoyed uh, being with you tonight. And I look forward to being with you next week. I'm going to have a guest. Her name is Caitlin Dowdy. She is going to be a famous funeral director. She's got some far out ideas about death and about grief. And you're going to love her. She's different. She's smart. And I can't wait for you 
to hear her teach. I'll talk to you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.